good to see you. And I've had someone ask me this several months ago, and actually it was kind of a lengthy period of time, um, struggling with my faith, struggling with my personal walk. And I think this is something that all of us at some point have, have encountered, all of us have experienced, and all of us have been through times that we get really low spiritually and, and we get discouraged through a variety of things, and it really seems to kind of own us and, and dominate us, and we have a hard time getting through uh, a lot of seasons in our life. And I'm going to talk about three different things that happens in our lives sometimes and, and things that can uh, get pretty heavy. Has anybody ever struggled in here with life? Yeah, yeah. And um, so I'm going to talk about three different things about struggling with my relationship with the Lord, struggling with my faith, my personal walk. And I think the first one is, is one that probably we deal with the most because I believe that most of us in our struggles, are, they're usually things that we self-inflict, things that we bring on ourselves, things that we open doors to, things that we allow, things we get involved in, whatever it is, and, and they're, self, they're self-inflicted pain, self-afflicted troubles, and then we get discouraged because, you know, when you are discouraged, you don't make very wise decisions, and uh, decisions are not made, um, that probably you would make the same decision at some other point than you were when you are discouraged. I know if I'm discouraged, my, my thinking is so caught up on the discouragement, I can't think about making wise decisions. And so we have a scenario here with a guy in the New Testament, I'd like you to take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 22. Self-inflicted pain. You know, uh, there's a lot of things that people have done over the years to, in, to inflict themselves with pain. And sometimes we may not do it intentionally, but we do it to ourselves by our actions and the things we say, the things we do, and the ways that we have behaved. Self-inflicted pain. And we have a scenario here with a guy by the name of Peter. And Peter, we know, love the Lord. If you do any study in the life of the disciples, Richard, glad you made it tonight. If you do the, any study... Uh, in the, in the life of the disciples, you'll find if there was one disciple that was mentioned the most often, it's Peter. Uh, maybe because he was flamboyant, maybe because he was louder. But the thing about him, he was always pretty open about things. And sometimes when we become too open, we end up putting our foot in our mouth just as he has done here. So in chapter 22, verse 31, it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that thy faith fell not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee in, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day before thou shalt deny, shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And I don't know about you, but at that moment, I believe, I believe Peter was passionate. I believe he was honest. I don't think he had any intentions of ever doubting. And to be honest with you, on Sundays, we don't have any intentions of going out through the week and being stupid or getting in things that possibly we get involved in or maybe attitudes or whatever it may be but there's things that often we have no intentions of doing because we really love the lord we're really committed because they spoke a little bit too quick so it was service commitment yes did he truly love christ i don't think there's any doubt that jesus was the center of his life actually we know he was because he gave up his career just to follow christ i think they were very close but here's the thing circumstances change and he was in a place that he had never been before, and he denied the Lord. In chapter 22, the same chapter in verse 57. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And, while, and after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And 
And about the space of another hour, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know it's not what thou sayest. And immediately while he, was, he spoke, he spake the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, and how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Here's the deal. One of the most important things about self-disasters, making decisions that we have separated ourselves from the Lord from where we used to be, the first one is we have to immediately become repentful. Because if repentance is not there, there will be no restoration. There can't be. He never abandoned his post, but when we abandon ours, we oftentimes remove ourselves from a place where he can begin to continue to work in our life. Peter had just stepped into an area of unbelief that he never thought would be there because of his circumstances. And what took place is he instantly was separated. He was convicted in his heart. The circumstances was something he didn't think would happen. So now what does he do? The first thing is that he repents. And what does he do secondly? It says that he went out and he wept bitterly. I think getting alone is so critical. When we get to a place in our life that we have self-inflicted something, we brought something into our own house. We brought something into our own life, and it's self-afflicted without repentance and without going back to where we were before that. Every one of us have been there. Seasons of our life where things get distant and stale and cold, and we become indifferent in our walk with the Lord. How did we get to that place? It's through casting crowns. Faith. You don't get there instantly. It's over a period of time. But how do we get back? How do we get back? Well, I don't feel the same. I feel different. I don't feel like it's as legitimate as it was earlier in my life. Friend, the legitimacy of your relationship with the Lord is still as relevant. You just are not having the emotional attachments. You're not. And so often, we, if we don't have the emotional things, we think that it's, it's been abandoned, and it hasn't. But friend, if you don't get back to the place of first repenting, and then getting back into the routine that you once had, once had. how many of you have I have a routine. I'm trying to wiggle this. I'm not trying to break dance. Hey, I have a routine. And I can ask, what is, your, what is your routine? And it could go in a variety of ways. A whole lot of ways. But there's a routine in serving him as well. Although it may be changing. It may be things you add to it. You have to get back to the routine that you had when you were disciplined in your walk. Regardless of your self-inflicted pain, your self-inflicted sin, your self-inflicted separation. It has to go back. We're all creatures of habit, and whether they're good habits or bad, but, but there's something when, when we get a wedge in there that we're no longer communicating, and we're not feeling His presence, and we're not taking that time and listening to the right stuff or, or, or whatever the right things was before when we were supposed to be. You know, Hebrews chapter 10 talks about not forsaking, not forsaking the assembly of yourself. How important is your attendance? It is a lot bigger than you could ever imagine. Circumstances where people get older and they can longer get out, really, and I know all of that, but but your attendance is super important. You know, I love to see you here, absolutely. Every one of you, I want to see you here, but it goes above and beyond anything that I want. It goes to the place that you have to value your time here. This morning, what do we speak on? And I'm not going to make any faces, I'm not going to do any posing. I did this morning, and someone had their phone on and took pictures, and it was really humiliating. And, uh, and it was a guy in the church, and he sent me pictures. What was my point? Spoke on this, right? I've done this. Turn and get the angle. My wife and I have driven down the road. She goes, why well, don't want to get a picture of us and send it to the kids? Or send it to your mom or do something. Dwight, smile. 
I don't like pictures. I already look old enough, and they make me look even worser. So here's the, let's get off of that. Man, what was my point? It was actually decent. Um, um, getting back, whatever. Setting routines, habits, forget it. We'll talk about it some other time. But you, the other thing about getting back into a routine is this. You also have to get to the place that you forgive yourself. Because a lot of people live in so much condemnation. And you may be here tonight and you may feel unworthy to lift your hands. And friends, I guarantee you this. There have been times I've been unworthy to lift my hands on Sunday morning. I've been unworthy to get up and raise my hands on a Wednesday night if we had music or whatever. But I've been unworthy in myself. But I do it not because of my worthiness, but because of his. And it's not in something that you're necessarily fake. But it's something that maybe your day was rotten and you didn't have any ambition to praise. But you've done it anyway. There is something about forgiving ourselves and moving on from our past. Some of us here tonight, we struggle. We think we can never get back to where I used to be. I've wondered about pastors over the years. We've had so much junk on the news lately about politicians being caught in, in, in compromising propositions or whatever's going on. And you know what? A lot of times if pastors have got to this place, where does the pastor go for restoration? I remember Jimmy Swagger when he fell back in the late 80s. Whenever that mess took place, he said, where do I go? Who do I go to? Who do I go to for help? Absolutely. But did he? Possibly. I don't know. But forgiving ourselves sometimes is one of the most critical things you can do to get back where you're supposed to be. It just is. It's part of it. You can ask everyone else for forgiveness, but we sometimes have a tendency to, to dominate ourselves with a lack of, of being worthy. Self-inflicted pain causes us to uh, struggle with our faith. You've messed up. You've went the wrong direction, whatever, and it's tearing you up on the inside. But first of all, you've got to grow. You've got to spend time in prayer. And I'm going to give you one thing I haven't talked about in quite a while, and I want everybody to listen to me on this. If you want to see spiritual growth in your life, I'm going to wait till everybody's awake or looking up. If you want to see spiritual growth in your life, you need to fast. And if you would get into fasting, fasting is when you separate time, not just skipping a meal. I skip meals all eat once a day and be good. But fasting is something when you purposely take the amount of time that you would spend eating a meal if it's 30 minutes or whatever, and you separate it, you don't eat, and you enter into prayer. And when you go into fasting, it's about you. It's not always about other people. It's about you getting a little closer, you becoming stronger, or him speaking to your heart, or things becoming clear. Because fasting is about spiritual growth, not physical. And whenever you've messed up and you've had self-inflicted pain, fasting is one of the most important things that you can do as an individual to get yourself back on. It's critical, and very few people ever do it. Very few people find value in it. But friend, that's something you can do to separate yourself and get it back where it needs to be. Second one is this. Struggles with tragedy. A lot of people really drift and get out in places they shouldn't be in their walk with the Lord because of, of tragedies. If you go to the book of Job, and, and if you go there, well, I'm going to go to a couple chapters there in a little bit, but I'm going to kind of paraphrase chapter 1 and 2. There was a scenario with this guy. We know he was wealthy. We know he loved the, he loved the Lord, the God Almighty, with everything that was within him. He had wealth. He had children. He had position. He had employees. He had retirement. He had, uh, you didn't know they had retirement back then, but he did because he had lots of kids and they took care of the older ones back in those times. And when his retirement was set, everything was ready to go. He was pretty well stress-free other than the issues. He had concerns about his kids. 
And so here in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see that everything was taken from him. And this is one of those things that's a tragedy. And when tragedies happen, and men have faced them. And when we face tragedies, how do we deal with them? A variety of ways. Some of us become, we think we're the only one that's been there. We think we're the only one that's been done to them. How immature is that? None of us are exempt from tragedy. And when they happen, you're not the only one. Others have been there. Others have been through it. And regardless of the hurting, I'm not being insensitive. But it is something that we all face. But we all also have to grow up and realize, I'm not the first one that's lost somebody. I'm not probably the first one to hear whose parent was killed. Maybe in the way my father was killed. But I'm not the only one. I'm not. And for me to think it's special for me because mine's different, it's always worse for me. Friend, grow up. The world in which we live in, we all have things and tragedies that happen. There are women in here whose husbands abandoned them, went different directions. You're not the first one, but you've dealt with it. You've embraced Christ in spite of their decision, and you've been faithful to the Lord. A lot of people take tragedies and turn them into an opportunity to backslide and to regress instead of progressing. Your past is, should be the fuel in your tank to push you into something regardless of the tragedies of your past. It needs to be the fuel in your tank that propels you into something different. But in a human, and we are human, we have struggles, and we begin, and we begin to doubt. We think, well, the tragedy's taking place. Why did it happen to me? I guess I'm not doing something right, or God doesn't love me, or God's abandoned me, or God's holding something over me. And that is so silly. It's ridiculous. And Job got to that place. And to be honest with you, there's probably a lot of us have got to the place that we think God is rewarding us back for how foolish we used to be. i got a little bit of news for you. God is not immature like us. He doesn't behave like us. He doesn't think like us. He doesn't throw things on us because of our failures in the past. Now, are there times when things come up from our past? Absolutely. But he doesn't dangle things over us to make us miserable to remembering our past. That's horrible. And he doesn't do that. He chooses not to do that. In Job chapter 13, I'm going to read something to you, verse 23. It says, How many are mine iniquities and sins? Take me to know my transgression and my sin. Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and holdest me for thy enemy? Will thou break a leaf driven to and fro, and, and will thou pursue the dry stubble? For thou writest bitter things against me, and makest me to possess the iniquities of my youth. There's verse 26. Lord, am I so, I'm drying up. And what was happening, his body was withering in a period of months. This wasn't over a period of years, but he lost all of his kids. He lost all of his donkeys, all of his camels, all of his sheep, all of his servants. And often we just talk about his kids and his, his resources that he had. But he also lost his servants. Friend, his servants were his friends. His who were stuck by him when nobody else did. His servants were the ones that he could count on, and they were all killed. So now he's in a situation that now his body is being eat up. And you remember in chapter 2 when the enemy struck his body with sores and boils, and he took pot shirt and ashes and put it on himself. Now he's to the place that his body's shriveling. Have you ever, have you ever been under a lot of stress? And when stress is really hard on you, it begins to take away your drive for life. It begins to take away your motivation to do anything. You begin to lose weight. You begin to not be healthy and because all your value is caught up in, in the scenario that you're in. And Job himself was consumed with the scenario he was in. I want you to read uh, verse 28. And he said, and he, 
as a rotten thing consumeth, as a garment that is moth-eaten. His body was literally decaying, and he didn't understand it. He was questioning God the same way we all have when tragedy strikes. The things we don't understand, the things that oftentimes we begin to, to blame him. Was it sin that brought this on? Was it, was it Job's failures when he was a teenager and, and he was involved in promiscuity or he was involved in drugs or he was involved in stealing and lying and all the things that so often go with, with immature behaviors? Was it disobedience to his parents? Was it his youthful things? Was he, and he was accusing God of a plot. Is that how God operates, really? Let me ask you parents tonight, ask yourself, if your kids the past and they got older and they're straight and they're living right and, and things are great, do you begin to do things to them to inject jabs and constantly dangle their past so they'll revert back to being miserable? Is that what you do? No, you try to embrace them where they are, especially when they've proven themselves. You try to embrace them. And the Lord is the same way. He's not going to do something to cause you to go backwards. So heart, Job's heart had returned, and he returned humbly. In chapter 42, we see a difference in Job. Because I'm going to be honest with you, when things are dark, it's hard to see things right. When things are dark and, and troubles have come and failures have come and issues have come, it's hard to see things right. Because you're so emotional about the, the tragedy in your life, you can't discern things. And, and, but in time, if you'll be faithful, you'll see it. You'll see it. There was nobody any more holy and just and blessed than Job. Nobody. Nobody in this room. Not even close. But as we look at Job in chapter 42, something changed about Job. There was something about the way he thought, even though he was righteous, blessed, and holy, and, and an incredible guy. Verse 1 says, And Job answered and said, Lord, to the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. And that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I understood not, things too wonderful for me to know, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak, and I will demand of you. This is God speaking back to him. And will declare thou, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is Job talking. We'll jump down to verse 10. There was something about a change. And I want to stop here for a minute. When you're in the middle of, the tra of a tragedy, <clears throat> I don't remember where I heard this, but um, I'll make sure I try to get it right in my head, and I probably won't, so I won't try it. But when you're in the middle of the tragedy, it's hard to believe that anything good can be here. Because we're so focused on all the negative and all the bad that's taking place in this tragedy that we kind of lose hope. And uh, I know several of you have been to that place. Job had gotten to that place because he began to question God, as we just read earlier. But it's amazing what God has in store for us down the road if we'll just be faithful. Verse 10 says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job, or the bad conditions, if you will, when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then then came there unto him all of his brethren and all of his sisters and all they that had been his acquaintance before. And they did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and everyone an earring of gold. Verse 12. So God blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. 
and you can read the rest. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And you know, by reading this, you would think, wow, this all took place in like two days, but it didn't. And this is where I want your attention for a minute. After you've been through tragedy, sometimes it takes years for things to be restored where they used to be. It doesn't always come instantly. It would be great if it was, but I can guarantee you this. His wife didn't have ten kids at once. She had him at least over a period of ten years. I don't think he had all the camels in one day. I don't think he got all the donkeys and all the sheep and oxen or anything else and his servants. I don't think they came in one day. It came over time. And this is the thing that a lot of us don't understand. We expect God to fix things in the middle of a tragedy, and we want instant. It takes years for us to be able to handle the blessings again of him. You didn't get to where you are in six months. It took you years to get here, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Well, guess what? When you're, middle, you're in the middle of a bad place, you don't get out of it instantly. It takes some time. It takes some discipline. And it's the same way with the blessings as they come back. It takes time. Would you go and throw... Would you throw everything in somebody's lap as soon as they come to a place of repentance? Absolutely not. You've heard me talk about inheritance many times over the years. I've only got one more point. You've heard me talk about this many times. And I've, my wife and I have talked about it. If our kids are serving the Lord, man, we may not have much, but what we have we're going to leave to them. But if things are not right with my kids, I'm not leaving them anything. I'm not going to leave the blessings that God has given me to someone who's not going to enjoy and, and embrace the blessings of the Lord. The greatest blessing that I can give my kids is their faith. That's it. That's it. It's not something that's in a tangible way. I learned a great lesson by watching the Hallmark Channel a movie the other night with my wife. It was amazing. Uh, some Bainbridge House. The Bain, maybe y'all watched that one. It was really great. Uh, any of you men watch Hallmark? Am I the only guy that watches Hallmark? Okay, I'm the only guy. So thank you. Thank you, Brother Miller. There's a few of us. Thank you. Some of us more seasoned men are in the Hallmark mood. You have to at Christmas. So let's get off this. I'm really messing up. <clears throat> Momentum shift will happen. And man, I don't know how long it'll take and how many suffering goes on over the years, but I'll tell you this. There's a shift that's going to take place. And I'm going to give you a passage to refer to in the New Testament. There was a guy by the name of Paul. He had been a, a Jewish scholar. He is from the, the greatest teachers that taught him. And in 1 Corinthians 12, chapter, chapter 12, and verse 7, I believe it is, it says that there was the Lord gave Paul a messenger, a thorn in the flesh. <clears throat> this wasn't a human. This was a demonic thing. This was something physically that was attached to him. And I can go into a lot of different maybe possibilities. But the thing is, he said he went to the Lord three times. Can you remove this? Can you remove this? Can you remove this? And every time the Lord said what? My grace is sufficient. And here's the thing about a mature believer. Even in the midst of things we don't understand, his grace is sufficient. Even when you don't understand and you want to get mad. I've shared the story with you before about Scotty Coffey, a great guy back in Kentucky. And yes, I used his name. And it can be recorded and spoken. I don't care. A great, great guy, and he still is today. But when my father was killed, you've heard the story, if Marvin's not there, I'm not going back anymore. And yeah, my dad had been a father to him. Yeah, my dad had provided clothes for them. Yeah, my father had bought food for them. Yes, my father did a lot of things for this family because his, his dad was an alcoholic. And my dad just kind of had to help them. This boy would walk miles to church. Didn't matter if it was snow. And we weren't even having church. Scotty would go to the church. If it wasn't open, he would walk to our house. And then my dad would take him home later. Why? 
because my father did something in his life that very few, no other man could ever do or would ever do. The problem was, Scotty couldn't differentiate life and my father. And that's where we have to understand. There are things we don't always understand about tragedy, but God is still God in the midst of it. We've had people in our church go terrible things. And I've got one more point, it's the last one. Struggles with tragedy. And the last one is struggles for a greater purpose. I'd like you to take and go in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. This will probably be the quickest one. I think, how many of you have ever seen something happen in your family? You think, man, God has got to have a bigger plan in this. There's got to be a bigger purpose. I know I have. How many times my wife and I thought, Lord, there's got to be something bigger. There's got to be something better. There has to be something going to come out of this that's going to be bigger better than what we ever dreamed because we sure don't understand this and there's a lot of times in life that God does things in order to create something bigger and better down the road is everybody with me do we need to stand up real quick okay I feel like I'm losing everybody over here so I'm going to go over here I'm going to go over here I love these guys in Genesis chapter 37 I don't, ever get their, I don't ever get their complete attention because I don't have them very much on their Wednesday night, but I'm not going to stay here. That's weird. But in Genesis chapter 37, we have a scenario with a guy by the name of Joseph, and we all know it. We all know the story. But the thing is, there's a lot of struggles and there's a lot of things that happen. happens because the issue is bigger than you. For the greatest example I know of that in the New Testament was John the Baptist. As great as he was, and what did Jesus say? No greater prophet ever to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist struggled with Jesus, leaving him in prison, and the next day his head being chopped off. He didn't understand that. There was a greater purpose for John, and it was prepare the way of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 37 and verse 3, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children, because he was the, he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now I'm going to talk to you just for a minute about this coat. Um, we have one dad in here that's well, actually we have a couple dads actually we have a lot of young dads that are really ate up over their kids and uh and it's all for whatever reason some of them act really goofy over sons Layton acts pretty ignorant over walker and glenn acts pretty ignorant over uh briar and preston acts pretty ignorant over jackson you know it's just a dad thing but and there's nothing wrong with that but in this scenario when a father would take a coat you know how many of y'all know what a, a remnant quilt is? A remnant quilt is a quilt that you make with what? A bunch of little pieces, not a, a pattern, maybe a pattern, but just all kinds of colors. This was not a remnant coat. This was a custom-designed spun jacket. It had very distinct patterns. It, it, it represented royalty. It represented head of the household. Now, this is the baby son. This is the baby of the family. And his father, because he loved him the most, because it was in his old age, he had a coat custom. It was a pinstripe of some sort probably. It was very expensive, but only certain people could have a coat like that and represent the family. One would either be the father or other one would be the spokesperson of the, of the family. And what was he doing giving this kind of a coat to a little boy? Maybe a, a young teenager. Why? And what happens, he caused a lot of problems in the life of Joseph. This quote was custom-made garment for the head of the house 
only for a selected leader in the family. It was even priestly oftentimes. This was not a remnant coat. In chapter 37, verse 18, And when they saw him from afar off, how did they know it was him? They saw his coat. If you were Joseph, you know how immature he was, and he would tell everybody his dreams. And if you see somebody with a rainbow coat from a long distance, you're going to know who it is because nobody else had a coat like this. Here comes the little dreamer. Look at verse 18. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near into them, they conspired against him to kill him or slay him. And they said to one another, Behold, here this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say that an evil beast has devoured him, and we will see, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Now I want to stop here, because oftentimes the Lord's direction and his plan is about things that affects one person terribly. And it really wrecks their life. But the end result is huge. I, I used this lady on a Wednesday night here several weeks ago. Probably the most holy person I've ever witnessed, heard about, and watched on TV my whole life was Mother Teresa. She was never married, never had any kids, could have had great wealth but didn't. Greatest woman influencer in the last 50, 60 years. What was her lot in life? How was it that she had to ex- experience things and live in a way that nobody else did? I don't know. But I know this, because directed her when that took place everything in her life changed and everybody else around her changed it was no different joseph this is one of those things when something a tragedy happens and i just look back and saw holden and you know it stinks dude i mean your leg broke that's dumb it's stupid i hate it and i know you question you're probably ticked off at yourself or whatever all these things run through your mind you ask why when Leighton was hurt the same thing you know i've told you the stories before and and my my famous quote to him and it's only one of the famous quotes I ever had between me and him, probably. But, dude, if basketballs are you are, you ain't nothing anyway. Seriously. If there's not more to LeBron James, then obviously there's more to you than that. If what you're doing right now is all that there is to you, then you're not much. Holding, hey, dude, it stinks. Don't know why, can't tell you. But I know this, there's always plans with the Lord in our lives that we don't see. And I'm going to wrap up because I don't, I've been up here forever. I'll just read my notes. These decisions were made by others and they affected him. And they were set in order, though, by God's divine plan. Is our plan divine? Absolutely not. Even when we think we know everything, it is not. Why have I journeyed here? Why has this happened to me? Why have all these things, as Joseph was thinking, why did all of my brothers turn against me and sell me for a slave? Let me ask you this. Is there something bigger that you haven't seen yet? Is there something that's going to happen 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, that you can't comprehend yet? I want to stop it because, man, the Lord really spoke something to me this past week, and I'm going to try to quit with this. We often get so consumed with with our future like i can't live for the lord this is too hard i can't do this for the next 10 years and how many of us in the last 10 years how fast did the last 10 years go dude super quick it was almost instantaneous it's all dread it's all about the responsibility of my future i don't want to make a decision like that i'm too afraid i don't want to make a decision for the next 10 years i'm going to be faithful regardless Joseph himself was in prison for 13 years, and he never wavered on who he was. 13 years. And we can look back and say, man, it went by quick. 
When people deal with issues and they deal with struggles and, and things that dominate, they think, man, I'll never, I'll never last five years. Yes, you will. If you establish yourself on who you are, yes, you will. Stop looking at how long it takes to get to five years and think about what you've squandered in the past then. Because in five years, it's going to be over again. And in five years, it's going to be over again. And when is, this, when is the results in this situation going to change? When? Circumstances are not always understandable. And Joseph had things he didn't understand, but one thing that didn't change was who he was with the dreams before and who he was with the dreams in the prison and who he was in the dreams with the accusations. And the thing that's so amazing is that he couldn't see that all of his disasters and all these terrible things were about something way beyond him. Let me talk to you about your faithfulness for a minute. Your faithfulness is so critical in the future of your family. It is so critical in what you stand for in the future of your family. You may not see it now, and you may not think it's that important. It is. Because of the faithfulness of Joseph, his dad was saved. His brothers were saved. The families were saved. Do you not understand that the whole generation of the Jewish nation was saved because one guy remained faithful? How often do we look at our life and well, I can't? Yes, you can. It's so frustrating that people cannot think five years ahead, but they keep thinking 20 years in the past. Our circumstances stink, and they're not always fair, and they're not always easy, but there's one thing that we're all in the same boat with. We are responsible for who we are in the midst of somebody else done it to us, or something that God is allowing us to travel through at the moment to get to a greater end. Quit being so naive that, that you're the exception. There are no exceptions. We are all in this. We all have a life. Maybe a little different, but in all reality, it's pretty much the same. But we make excuses for why well, we're not the one that can do it, but you can. That's, that's the way it is. Now let me ask you, how are you dealing with your circumstance? Who are you blaming? Who are you looking at? Who are you mad at? Who are you looking at yourself in the mirror and you look and you detest yourself? Who knows what God has in store for you? It's amazing to go back and read the life of Jeremiah and the things that he was broken for. Jeremiah was broken as a prophet because of the way that people were living. He wasn't broken because it was something that wasn't necessarily him. It was behalf of others, how they were. When there's prophecies given in Scripture, man, it's, it's usually because people can't grasp it. But God's still in charge. He still is. I want us to close, guys, if you come back. Let's do I Need You Again. And... Um, Because here's the thing about that song with this message. Obviously, um, we can't fix ourselves. Can we, honey? There are some things we can do different. There are some decisions we can make. But it's through a relationship that we have with him and our commitment level. Even through failure like Peter did. He went out repented. He got be. He got things back right with the Lord, and his life was never the same, and his influence was paramount in the early church. But here's the key. We need him. 
we need him. When I'm gone, my wife will still need him. If my wife leaves before me, I will still need her. Regardless of your scenario, whether your husband is gone, your wife is gone, somebody's passed away, whatever the scenario, you need him. So regardless of the tragedy, regardless of the circumstance, friends, remember that we need him. Anybody had a tragedy? Anybody had a struggle? Anybody had a struggle the past week? Yeah. Yeah. Lord, we need you as individuals. We need you as a church, obviously, but Lord, we need you so much as an individual. We go, we can walk into that place of promise, that place of direction. Our families will be blessed because, well, we've been faithful. Not perfect, but we've been faithful. Father, I pray regardless of the struggles, whether it's health issues, financial issues, family issues, whatever it may be tonight. Lord, I pray that you would still speak to our hearts and help us to know that we have to have you. We have to have you.